Welcome to Iron Butterfly Podcast, sponsored by the National Security Institute and the Amazing Women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer. And I'm Katie Hopkins. And we will be your hosts. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer. And later, she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. On this episode, we are joined by retired Colonel Jen Savada, president of Sandbox AQ's Global Public Sector. Prior to her position at Sandbox AQ, she was the Chief Futures Officer and Senior Vice President and General Manager for the IC startup Mission Tech Solutions, which was acquired by Advantage Federal in November 2020. Jen's Air Force career spanned 25 years in intelligence focused on higher-end technology capabilities. She commanded the Air Force Technical Application Center, the DOD's sole organization responsible for nuclear treaty monitoring. Jen also serves as the chairwoman of the Board of Directors for the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum, a member of the Board of Directors for the Intelligence National Security Alliance, and a strategic advisor to Bluestone Investment Partners. Jen, we are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming. I am really excited to be here today to be with two fabulous women to talk about really interesting topics and to celebrate the intelligence community and the women who served in it and serve in it today. Oh, well, thanks. We're blushing for those of you who can't see us. (laughs) Jen, we at Iron Butterfly, we, of course, are telling stories of women in the intelligence community, but what people do is just as important to us as who people are. And so our first question that we always like to ask is just like, who is Jen? Like, how did Jen find herself here today and kind of in her way into the intelligence community? Yeah. So, you know, who I am today is somebody that is really passionate about life and it's trying to make a difference, whether it is serving our nation, whether it is helping my children, or even just helping other organizations grow and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And where did that all start? It actually started a long time ago when I had my grandmother, who was really my inspiration. My grandmother was born in the early 1900s, and she had a goal of going to Mars, not to the moon, to Mars. And she was told that she couldn't even, you know, work beyond after being married because she was a woman. And so she was a teacher up until she got married, but she never lost her enthusiasm for space, for engineering, and for many other things. And and having a voice that was heard. And it was interesting because she was married to my grandfather, who was an OBGYN, who also had an amazing career that we won't get into. But over my lifetime, my grandmother played this really influential role in me. And we would tinker on the tractor because they had this family farm after my grandfather retired. And she let me drive the big truck down the field when I was 12 and um, read all the time and had just these wonderful walls of books where you could just go choose a book when you went to visit her. And we spent all summer with her. Um, and she had this space collection that she collected everything from the space industry, from the first launch of you know the 
the rockets through human space launches and, and onto the moon. And she always said that she was born 80 years too early because she wanted to be one of the first people to go to Mars. And that passion for life and that passion for um, making a difference and being a trailblazer was something that really influenced me and led me to not at the time I didn't realize it. But when I made my decision to go to the Air Force Academy, I think it was really driven by what my grandmother instilled in me from the beginning. And then um, four years at the Air Force Academy, I went to play basketball. I didn't go because I had this passion or drive to join the Air Force. I went because I was like, uh, it's a free scholarship. I'll have a job when I graduate. I can spend five years doing it. I'll come out debt free and then do something else. And I fell in love with the mission of um, the US Air Force. But more importantly, for me was the intelligence community. I've always identified more as an intelligence community professional than an Air Force officer, because I started off and did my entire career in the intelligence career field. And the impact that I was able to make on day one and how much I learned and the quality of the people in the intelligence community just motivated me more and more and more every day. That's amazing. Do you have any early space memories with your grandma? So the funniest one is my grandmother had this Cabbage Patch doll <laughs> that was an astronaut. Oh my god! And the box is actually a space capsule. And I still have it. I was going to ask in the space. I still have it in the like pristine in the box and everything. And um, I mean, that was like one early space thing. But my grandmother going through her space collection with her and it was everything from glasses and patches and stickers and newspaper articles and the Reader's Digest and photos that she took when um, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon of the of the TV because she was so excited about it. And we always did a lot of stargazing too, and just talking about space in general. So lucky to have a grandma like that. Where were you in the country? Where was she in the country? So I lived in Wisconsin and she lived in Ohio and she lived in Youngstown, Ohio. So very much an industrial steel part of Ohio. And my family grew up there. And so we would take the nine and a half hour drive almost every three day weekend, four day weekend, holiday and spend it with my grandparents. And my aunt and uncle lived next door. My other aunt and uncle lived on the backside of the property. And I had another aunt and uncle that lived like 10 miles away. And so it was just this big community of family that supported each other. And, you know, from that, in my generation, three of us went into the military. And besides, you know, my both my grandfathers being doctors in World War II and an uncle who served during Vietnam because he was drafted, we didn't have anybody who ever served. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting that we had three people who decided that service was in our blood and that we wanted to do that for our nation. And do you think that was because of your grandma? I do. I really do. And, you know, my other two cousins were men, but they loved her just as much as I did. And she was crazy, but we loved her. <laughs> what was her name? Her name was uh, Juliana. Juliana. We call, but everybody called her Judy. Oh, Judy. Well, this is mm-hmm. for Judy. This is for Judy. Yeah. What a good story. That's a great way to start. Um, thanks for sharing that with us. You're welcome. So you served a full career uh, in the U.S. Air Force as an intelligence officer. So I was wondering if you could share some of your favorite jobs and why those were your favorite jobs. You know, it's, it's funny. I always said that I would do one more assignment if I didn't like my previous assignment because I didn't want to make a decision based on one job that I just absolutely hated or um, didn't feel like it served me in my career and didn't accomplish my goals. 
And looking back, all those jobs that I was like, oh, I can't believe I got that assignment really actually helps me throughout <laughs> my career and are helping me today. But from like a fun perspective, like let's talk about fun because <laughs> you know, it, it, we, we do have a nice job and we, we get to travel all over the world, but we also um, have a lot of joy in doing what we do. I think my favorite job when I was younger was when I was at Jack Molesworth in England. And one of the reasons why is because I was a young lieutenant. Um, I'd graduated from intelligence school. I had gone overseas for the first time ever living by myself. So it was like the whole scary thing of going someplace that you didn't know to live. But the people that I met there and the people that I made friends with were everybody that you know in the intelligence community today. It is retired admirals and generals and senior civilians. And that group of people, I don't, I don't, I wish that somebody would look at the statistics and see how many people made it to like a GS 15 or above mm -hmm. and an 06 and above. And I think that there were probably 90 plus percent of us that made it to that level in government. And many are still serving in one way or another as a senior civilian or as an admiral. I've got a friend who's an admiral right now. And just the amount of camaraderie we built and like lifelong friendships where we still meet regularly and get together. And, you know, you go to a city where they are and you stay at their house. And it was just a great time to be in the military too. Cause I call it like coup of the day in Africa. So you had a chance to learn because all these coups were happening. Bosnia and Kosovo happened at the same time. We had Taiwan and Hong Kong happening during that time. It was just a really pivotal time in the national security space too, to have to understand how things globally interact with each other. So I think that's early, early career. Mid-career was also overseas. I think overseas, I like to be overseas. I like to travel. That's my thing. Um, so I was stationed in South Korea for a year. And the realizing that you sort of relive the armistice one year at a time and how do we try to get over that? And how do we try to learn from it while also having a good group of people because you're all there for a common mission? And then later in life, being a wing commander in charge of a thousand people that were global and really doing a mission that no one else in the government did and understanding the ramifications for it was really powerful and fun too. So when you left the Air Force, did you feel like you accomplished all that you wanted to accomplish? Were you like, I hate to say happy, like, you know, yeah. that you were retiring or was it a bittersweet? You know, it was not bittersweet. And I thought that maybe I'd have more emotion tied to it. But I made my decision not based on how typical people retire from the military. A lot of people like say, I'm a year out, I'm going to make my plan, I'm going to quote, push the button, yeah. or smash the button or whatever, you know, to, to submit for their retirement. I actually submitted for my retirement 60 days before I re actually retired oh from the Air Force. Now, most people don't know that. And I had to negotiate with my boss at the time to actually let her let me retire. And the reason why is because I'd gotten this job offer from a really cool company that was a startup. And for many, many years, I'd been dealing with innovation and emerging tech and trying to figure out how to do things faster, better, cheaper, and still have an impact uh, for me personally. So when I met this, the team of co-founders who were phenomenal and are still really good friends of mine today, I said, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to do. 
And I was like, I'm I'm in. Let's do it. So I submitted on September 30th. I got my military orders on October 3rd, which all in of itself is a miracle. That never happens. I went TDY, so I traveled a week later to a, a huge um, event that we call our developmental team. It's where we decide what the future commanders and majors and others are going to do with their careers. Mm-hmm. And I led that meeting because I was a head of talent management at the time in the Air Force for Intel. I came back and I, re- I left the Pentagon for the last day on October 24th. I started working with this new company on November 4th and then officially retired from the military November 30th. And then had this like wild ride. And people ask me like, do you regret it? Do you look back? And are you sad about it? I haven't missed the Air Force one day since I left. And that tells me that I made the right decision, that it was the right time for me to go under the right circumstances. And I still have the ability to support the community that I love every day. And that's what I love. That's amazing. I know. That's really awesome. And it's so important to hear. I, I think it's not it's not said enough. There are so many different ways to serve and you don't necessarily have to be in the military. You don't have to be, you know, working for government. You can work for industry and still serve the mission. There are lots of different ways and you've done both of them. And so I think that's just important for people thinking about, you know, different ways they can serve our country. Totally. And Jen, you kind of touched on this, but it seems like you really dove headfirst into technology and innovation. And it sounds like when you met with this company, like it just really felt like the right place for you to be. Like, what was it about technology and innovation that really drew you? Like, why is that so important to you? It's important to me because it's what the world is driven by. We know that our adversaries are full speed ahead on technology, whether it's AI or quantum or uh, you know, you can think of it, hypersonics, whatever it is that is out there that's newly being created on a daily basis. Our adversaries are just as much interested in it as we are. And I find that government wants to adopt it. They just don't know how to adopt it. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, while I was in the military, figure out like, what are better ways to acquire? What are better ways to bring in new ideas? What are better ways to bring in small business? So it was really the, the sort of the, the tipping point for a lot of the innovation ecosystem is when I got involved. And I think we had a, a really big impact. And there was a group of us that we still hang out to. Like the, It's just these communities that pop up that we all love. And you become family. There's, there's like a common link here. Because it sounds like there have been multiple times in your life where you've had these communities. And it could be you, Jen. Oh, well, I thank you. But um, I don't know about that. You know, it's, it's about kind of following your passion and believing in yourself to follow the passion and not second guessing your decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that we, especially in government, tend to second guess whether or not we're making the right decision. And just like you said, it's this, do I leave or do I stay? And we have a lot of my friends have had this, if I leave, like, I feel like I'm giving up on my obligation to serve rather than sometimes we have to be selfish and we have to do what's the best for our families and find a different way to serve like you were talking about. And just because you're a contractor doesn't mean you're any less valuable or important or impactful. It's really about what's the best for you and how do you show up every day. I love that. So you mentioned AI and quantum. And I think I'm going to ask something that I think many of our listeners are asking themselves, which is, like, what does that mean? And can you explain those things to us like we were in third grade? Like, sure. why are those things important? I'm yeah. one of those people. 
you know, it, it's okay. I, I do a lot of talking about this because I find it important to be able to take the mystique and the scariness out of emerging technology. Um, like fully full disclosure, I knew nothing about quantum a year and eight months ago, maybe nine months ago, I guess it was September of 21 when I joined the company that I'm at now. I knew nothing about quantum, but like, oh, there's quantum capabilities and there's quantum computers, but could I tell you what a quantum computer was? No, I couldn't tell you really what a quantum computer was. And now I teach a class at Georgetown on quantum and national security. What that shows is that the technology really isn't that out of reach. It's just that people don't know how to describe it in a manner that people understand. And so what is quantum? Quantum is looking at things at the subatomic level. And right now, most of what we do, especially in the computing realm, is based on bits. Mm -hmm. So we have a one and a zero, which is a bit, but we're actually moving into the atomic realm. So instead of bits, we're looking at atoms and how the physical world interacts with each other to enable things like better processing, faster computing speeds, um, higher sensitivity of um, signals. So, you know, for example, we have the magnetic field of the earth. It's one big signal. It's always emanating. Mm -hmm. And we have sensors that are biologic sensors, atomic, subatomic sensors that measure that atomic level of that magnetic field. And now we can get really good precision and accuracy and sensitivity about whatever it is you're trying to measure. And so it's not that different from what we already do. And oh, by the way, did you know that an MRI is a quantum sensor? Did you know a transistor is a quantum sensor? Lasers, quantum sensors. They're all, we have been dealing with quantum really for a very long time. Um, 1950s, we're in the really the third quantum revolution. The initial one started in the 1950s with people like Einstein and with really quantum theory. 1970s is when transistors, MRIs, and lasers were really built. And then we have today where we have the onset of quantum computers, additional, more um, smaller scale, passive quantum sensors, and then things like quantum communications. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. Our listeners are going to be teaching classes on quantum at Georgetown soon. What the other thing I heard you say, I I know the point you were trying to get across is, you know, you just need someone to be able to explain it in in a way that people can hear it. But what I also heard was you can learn something at any point, at any age, at any time. You know, you knew nothing a year and what did you say, eight months ago? Right. And now you're teaching it. And so I think that's an important lesson as well, is that you literally can learn anything if you just are open to it, I guess, and and you persevere. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. And I think Jen just pulled us right on it a little bit more. What Can you explain then why those things are important for intelligence and national security? Yes, absolutely. Um, they're important because they enable us to do things better in a variety of ways. Uh, for example, we'll go back to the quantum navigation using the magnetic field of the earth. You can actually navigate using the magnetic field of the earth without using GPS. And what that does is it enables you to navigate passively and without being jammed or spoofed. And in a national security space, if you think about when we're going head to head with a potential adversary, if you don't emanate anything, it's harder to find you especially with stealth technology. From a quantum computing perspective, it enables us to speed up our processing of data. We can use AI to help find better insights. And the same thing when you have a quantum sensor, use AI to get the signal from the noise because you'll have a whole bunch of noise. You know, if you've got um, 
for example, we've got a, a cardiac sensor that we're developing and you might have a, a elevator behind you. Well, it's going to pick up the magnetic field of your heart and also the magnetic field coming out of the elevator. So you have to be able to rip the elevator noise out of there and just get back to the heart signal. And so the combination of those two are very powerful because AI informs quantum and quantum can also inform AI, which then allows us to do things differently than we do them now in the intelligence community with better precision, accuracy, sensitivity, and insight. I think it's really cool to hear someone talk about their work with a lot of purpose. Like that's what I hear when you talk about your work. It's really cool. It's exciting because every day we're uncovering new things that we can do with the technology and having conversations with people in the government and you start opening up ideas and then it becomes this push and pull of, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. And oh, that's really cool. What, what about if we did this? And hey, maybe we can reduce the, the weight of our tanks by 50% by using quantum calculations in order to get to better material science. And, and it's just, it's fun to have brainstorming sessions and using your, like you talked about, like learning something new every yeah. day by talking to somebody who's got a unique challenge that they're trying to overcome. Wow. That's so cool. That is really cool. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, and I know you a little bit, Jen, and I know how important your family is to you. And so I was wondering if you could talk about them a little bit. Tell us about your family, your kids, and we just want to hear about them. Yeah, my family is uh, pretty amazing. Um, I have two kids. My Both of my children are in high school. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Did I actually started, say that? I, okay. Mine just is a freshman this year, and it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> It is crazy. Um, I will tell you, my 16-year-old is a sophomore, and he has challenges, but he's the coolest kid on the planet, super funny, and he's doing his thing. And um, I'm really there for him and to support him so that he can be as, as productive as he wants to be and as integrated in society as he wants to be. And he's got this cool network of friends. It's all about like the friends network, right? That he does youth group with and sports and um, art classes and they hang out and go get ice cream and do all sorts of fun things. And for a kid with special needs to be able to do that, that's awesome. And that's what I love about this area. My second is 14 and they just started high school also. But what I love is when it was like college almost, and you probably felt the same way. It was like, do I go to Yorktown? Do I, I go to gosh. Wakefield? I do I go to WNL? Do I do I the AP program, the tech program, the, you know, dual enrollment program. And you're like this, why are my kids having to make these choices right now? Well, and you feel pressured, yeah. you know, you don't want to pressure them, but you're feeling pressured. So, you know, they're feeling pressured right. and you're like, ah. and then you have the parent. I mean, we can get into that, but you know, other parents being like, where are your kids going? <laughs> yeah. Well, my child decided on their own mm -hmm. to go to Arlington Tech. Oh, awesome. Which is a dual enrollment more STEM focused, mm -hmm. and then all these other cool classes that they can take. And in their freshman year, they actually have to take engineering, which oh, wow. is like a design thinking and engineering combined class, which I love because on my fridge from when they were in fourth or fifth grade, they had to do for Mother's Day, it was a picture magnet. They had to write on a piece of paper. I love it when my mom does X. And for this one, it was, I love it when my mom talks about design thinking. <laughs> <laughs> What have I done to my child? Like, I'm sure everybody else is like, my mom makes me My mom talks to me about design things. I love that. No, it's like your grandma was smiling right. down on you. Yeah. I actually think that my child is a lot like my grandma, left-handed and all sorts of other characteristics that really remind me of my grandma. So like that warms my heart to hear you say that. Um, but I asked myself, 
so what are you going to take for your elective? The one elective you get, well, I signed up for art. So what about if art isn't available? Cause this, the artistic ability one has one art competitions and other things mm-hmm. with like big art paintings and others. Uh, I want to do auto hobby shop. It's like, Oh, okay, sure. You, you do you like yeah. whatever you want to do. And I just love the individuality and the ability to express themselves. And they act like they're 35, even though they're 14. And so it's fun to see children grow up, grow up and start having different types of conversations. And when you watch the movies that you watched five years ago and how they pick things up that are different than what they picked up when they were five years ago, um, is a lot of fun to see. And it, it only gives me hope for this generation and what they do. I also think this generation is getting off of the device addiction. Um, my child and their friends don't use their phones. I, and mine doesn't actually have a phone, doesn't want a phone, has a watch in case needs to get hold of me for emergency reasons and then an iPad at home, but doesn't want a phone as a freshman in high school. I think that's pretty cool. That's really cool. I noticed that my son doesn't, like he has one. But it's not something, I feel like my husband has more of a connection to his phone than his son does. Like, I can't, if there was a punishment, a lot of parents would say, give me your phone, right? Mm-hmm. My son would be like, here. Like, he doesn't, that's not a, like, he's like, I don't need it. So that I never thought about it that way, but I think that's true that there might be this shift with this generation, which is kind of cool. I have the six girls that come over to the basement after school usually, and I've got the snack closet and the drink fridge with non-alcoholic drinks. And <laughs> they have their snacks and they, they sit down there and laugh and Aww. talk to each other. And, you know, they call me Mama J. And it's just, it's a cool neighborhood and a cool group of friends that all support each other. That's amazing. Jen, we were chatting about laughing before we started about how you are like a professional podcaster. We were saying that. You weren't saying that. But I'm curious, what is something that you could share about yourself that people might be surprised to learn about you that you maybe haven't talked about before? I think that one of the things that people don't know about me is that I am really a softie at heart. Um, Many people see like this very gruff, not even say gruff necessarily, but maybe somebody mentioned the other day, I'll I'll just go back for that. They mentioned that I had this like very powerful, quiet presence when I walk into a room and like, oh, it's so impressive to see this powerful presence that you have. And sometimes people think that it's, hey, you're too aggressive or you're too vocal or you're too outspoken, or um, maybe my delivery is not always the greatest, I will admit. But in reality, I'm really a softie on the inside and I, I get crushed when I hurt somebody's feelings or if I have to tell somebody news that they don't want to hear or give them feedback about their performance or even talking to my kids about something that I don't like that they've done. I, I still inside, I feel like, oh gosh, you know, I hope that that was okay because I really do care about people and I want people to feel like they are important and that they're valued. I think you, I think that was one of the things that I really felt connected to you by was, I think you're a very empathetic person. And I think that's how I am. And so thank you for sharing that. I think that's great. I also couldn't agree more. I will say publicly now. So I also work at a startup organization. And I will always if I have a question that I've asked other people that is actually fundamentally like unanswerable, I will ask Jen and she always has an answer to the unanswerable. <laughs> if she gets the right answer, I don't know. 
we won't have hands. Yeah. So I feel like I have definitely had the benefit of always just having your listening ear and very, very just helpful advice and guidance. And you've always given me that support. Always here for you. <laughs> always. Awesome. So I think, you know, this season's theme on the podcast is the butterfly effect. Uh, I think one thing we've heard from a lot of women that we've talked to um, and just folks that we mentor in the space is, you know, the, the government is big and this industry is big. And sometimes it can be very intimidating and even discouraging at times and feels like it's impossible to have an impact in the world, right? And so one question that we've been asking all of our guests on this season is just, what are some ways that you feel like throughout the course of your personal or professional life that you've made an impact on like a personal level or an organizational level or or even on a national or global level? Yeah. So um, funny story. I just recently got an EA and we call them executive business partners in the tech world. And she is amazing. She is like, she knows how to do strategy. She knows how to put together comprehensive briefings, but she also manages my calendar. And I feel really, really bad for her because I always am connecting with people just randomly on LinkedIn and like, Hey, can I talk to you about such and such? I don't even know this person. Like, sure. And I send it to her to schedule. And one day she's like, who are all these people? A little context would be helpful. She's saying that about me. <laughs> and I, I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just schedule them for 30 minutes. And she's like, but your calendar's full. I'm like, it's okay. We'll find time. I think the thing that I value most and where I make the most impact is just trying to figure out how to help people. Um, I feel that I've been helped by others in many, many ways. And many people don't realize how they've helped me, whether it is through a good or bad example, or being a shoulder for me when I needed them, or taking a chance on me when things were you know, weird, crazy, or um, you just came out of government and we're going to hire you for this position, even though we, we have no idea if you can actually work in the commercial world and in the private sector. Um, so I want to be able to return that and help them, whether it's with, hey, how, how do I help you transition out of the military? How do I help you figure out how to address your boss who's a jerk and a sexist? Or how do I help you negotiate a better salary? Um, what are the things that you should be thinking about as you're moving into a different job? Those are, are things that I don't think we're transparent enough about. And I've, I want to try to break that paradigm of transparency is not a bad thing. And if it all makes us better and helps holds us accountable, then why not? And maybe they'll then pass it on and they'll help others as well. I think that's a great lesson. And I agree. I agree. So we've come to our last question. I don't know if you're ready. I don't know if I'm ready either. <laughs> Our listeners know that the last question we ask every guest is if you had a codename, what would it be and why? Because, um, you know, our podcast name is Iron Butterfly after Eloise Page. Fierce Fighter, of course, deal. I challenge you maybe to think about if someone else were to give you a codename, if you maybe don't want to give yourself a codename, what do you think someone would say your codename is? Yeah. I, you know, funny enough, um, going back to my grandma, I'm actually going to say like interstellar. Oh. <laughs> All that for an amazing code name. Oh, my goodness. That's absolutely perfect. And you don't even have to explain it because if you listen to this episode, listeners, you would know why. <laughs> would know why. Oh. oh, my goodness. Well, she's listening and 
I think she'd be really happy. Why did you pick that? <laughs> I have to know. Um, you know, I think that for me, reaching for the stars is really important and reaching for things that are unattainable and trying to do your best to get there. Thinking about how do we create a different future for ourselves and being um, as innovative and as crazy as we can be, because also thinking about interstellar travel is out there, but we know that we can get there, especially if we work together. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being with us today. This was such a fun podcast episode for me. I feel like I learned so much about you and just really appreciate you sharing your stories with us today. Well, and thank you for, on behalf of everyone, thank you for your service. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. And it's always good to be with friends and the community and the team. And, you know, that's really what it's about. It's how do we help each other and how do we continue to grow as individuals and as a community towards really supporting those that we want to support and the mission that we want to support. Well, we always feel your support. So thank you. This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly Podcast. We want to thank the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School for their technical sponsorship and Amazing Women of the IC for their promotion. To learn more about Iron Butterfly Media, visit our website at www.ironbutterflymedia.com. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. To find out more about AWIC, email amazingwomen.ic at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we want to thank Amanda Young for production assistance and Gracie Richburg for marketing assistance. Stay fierce and we'll talk next time. time.